Welcome everyone to the Predictably Treacherous podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be looking at the 1959 television series, The Twilight Zone. This is going to be a five-part series. This is part one. I'm going to look at season one of The Twilight Zone and go through all the episodes and talk about them. Wikipedia offers a pretty good summary of what the show was all about. So this is from Wikipedia. The Twilight Zone is an American anthology television series created and presented by Rod Serling, which ran for five seasons on CBS from 1959 to 1964. Each episode presents a standalone story in which characters find themselves dealing with often disturbing and unusual events, an experience described as entering, quote, the Twilight Zone, often ending with a surprise ending and a moral. Although predominantly science fiction, the show's paranormal and Kafka-esque events lean the show towards fantasy and horror. The phrase, quote, Twilight Zone, inspired by the series, is used to describe surreal experiences. So it goes on to say, the series featured both established stars and younger actors who would become much better known later. Serling served as executive producer and head writer. He wrote or co-wrote 92 of the show's 156 episodes. He was also the show's host and narrator, delivering monologues at the beginning and end of each episode. Serling's opening and closing narrations usually summarize the episode's events, encapsulating how and why the main characters had entered the Twilight Zone. Okay, so that's a pretty good summary. That'll, that'll do. Um... I don't agree with that entirely. I mean, I don't really think that's what uh, Serling does at the beginning. He does bookend the beginning and the ending of each episode, and he says something. I don't know if it's, uh, what does it say there? Um, His opening and closing narrations usually summarize the episode's events, encapsulating how and why the main character entered Twilight Zone. I don't think that's true. Um, he makes a couple of comments at the beginning, the end of each episode, and sometimes they're uh, um, a reflection on what's happened, but I, I wouldn't say he explains everything. Nevertheless. Okay, so the Twilight Zone, um, just to put this into perspective, let's look at the, I'm going to talk a little bit about the reputation of the Twilight Zone because it's a very well-respected show, maybe more than more respected than people realize. It's thought of as one of the best shows of all time. So in Rolling Stone on its uh, 100 Greatest TV Shows of All Time article from September 2016, which there'll be a link in the show notes, it ranks The Twilight Zone as the seventh best TV show of all time, sandwiched right between Saturday Night Live at eighth and The Simpsons at sixth. Um, So this is a very high ranking considering as well that the recency bias that's on display in this and other top TV show lists. I looked at a few other lists. There's a lot of bias uh, for recent shows. For example, Rolling Stone ranked only two shows in their top 10 uh, where the bulk of the show's run took place before 1990, and that was The Twilight Zone and All in the Family. And now that I'm saying it, I realize the um, all the lists sort of get invalidated because they throw in these bullshit shows like All in the Family. Um, Okay, so um, and three additional shows they put MASH, Star Trek, the original series, and Cheers in their top 25. So these are shows that had the bulk of their episodes before 1990. 
Um, and their top 50 has 13 total shows where the bulk of the show's run took place before 1990. And as a side note, I didn't see the Flintstones on any of these lists. And the Flintstones is one of the greatest shows of all time. So another um, on a TV guide names top 50 shows. That's the name of the article. Article from 2002. The Twilight Zone is ranked 26th. Um, and on a ranker.com article, it's ranked 10th. So hit and miss. But it appears on a lot of these articles about the top shows and episodes of all time, things like that. Um, it's always peppered in there. So it's pretty well respected, the show. Um, I noticed well, I didn't write anything about it here. I don't have any notes. But I remember seeing one of the articles looking at the best shows of all time. Not shows, sorry. The best episodes from shows of all time. They actually put one Twilight Zone episode that is not good. I think actually I'm going to get into that in season one. So we'll talk about that. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about uh, Rod Serling, who's the show's creator. Um, so again, Wikipedia coming through for me. Here's a little bit from Wikipedia. So Rodman Edward Serling, December 25th, 1924 to June 28th, 1975, was an American screenwriter playwright, television producer, and narrator known for his live telephone dra uh, television dramas of the 1950s and his science fiction anthology TV series, The Twilight Zone. Serling was active in politics, both on and off the screen, and helped form television industry's standards. He was known as the, quote, angry young man of Hollywood, clashing with television executives and sponsors over a wide range of issues, including censorship, racism, and war. Okay, so a couple little points here. Uh, just, I'm not going to go through his whole life, but we'll just talk about a few bullet point form things. So he joined the Army after high school in 1943 and fought in the Philippines uh, and in Japan. He was... Uh, Oh, it says um, he was uh, disappointed. It was like a disappointment for him not to be sent to Europe to fight Hitler. So in 1946, so this is post-war, he went to college and worked in a radio station. Uh, he married his wife, Carol, in the summer of 1948. He began his professional writing career for television and radio in 1950. At the end of 1954, his agent convinced him to move to New York because that's where the action is. Or I should say that's, quote, where the action is. His big break came in 1955 when the Kraft Television Corporation broadcast of a show called Patterns aired. Um, I've got a link to it in the show notes. You can check it out there. Um, it's sort of like a sci-fi type show. It's uh, his pre-Twilight Zone type show. Um, then in 1956, he wrote Requiem for a Heavyweight. It's like a, I don't know, episode of uh, something. And then in autumn 1957, he and his family moved to California. Uh, shows had begun, I guess, being taped rather than airing live. So the business uh, kind of expanded to the West Coast, which makes sense, right? Because they're in a different time zone, three hours behind the East Coast. Um, so now that was able to take place because of that. So I just want to talk a little bit about um, corporate censorship um, to put the Twilight Zone into context. Um, so this, this will help. This is a little bit from Wikipedia as well. So the early years of television often saw sponsors working as editors and censors. 
Serling was often forced to change his scripts after corporate sponsors read them and found something they felt was too controversial. Um, They were wary of anything they thought might make them look bad to consumers, so references to many contemporary social issues were omitted, as were references to anything that might compete commercially with a sponsor. For instance, the line, got a match, was deleted because one of the sponsors of Requiem for a Heavyweight was Ronson Lighters. Gould, the New York Times reviewer, added this editorial note at the end of a glowing review for A Town Has Turned to Dust, a show about racism and bigotry in small southwestern town. Playhouse 90 and Mr. Serling had to fight executive interference before getting their play on the air last night. The theater people of Hollywood have reason to be proud of their stand in the viewer's behalf. Frustrated by seeing his scripts divested of political statements and ethnic identities and having a reference to the Chrysler building removed from a script sponsored by Ford, Serling decided the only way to avoid such artistic interference was to create his own show. In an interview with Mike Wallace, he said, I don't want to fight anymore. I don't want to have to battle sponsors and agencies. I don't want to have to push for something that I want to have to settle for second best. I don't want to have to compromise all the time, which in essence is what a television writer does if he wants to put uh, on controversial themes. So Serling submitted the time element to CBS, intending it to be a pilot for his new weekly show, The Twilight Zone. Instead, CBS used the science fiction script for a new show produced by Desi Arnaz and Lucille Ball called Westinghouse Desi Lou Playhouse in 1958. The story concerns a man who has vivid nightmares of the attack on Pearl Harbor. The man goes to a psychiatrist and after the session, the twist ending, a device which Serling became known for, reveals the patient had died at Pearl Harbor and the psychiatrist was the one actually having the vivid dreams. The episode received so much positive fan response that CBS agreed to let Serling go ahead with his pilot for The Twilight Zone. Okay, so The Twilight Zone. Here's another section from Wikipedia. On October 2nd, 1959, the classic Twilight Zone series created by Serling premiered on CBS. For this series, Serling fought hard to get and maintain creative control. He hired scriptwriters he respected, such as Richard Matheson and Charles Beaumont. In an interview, Serling said the show's science fiction format would not be controversial with sponsors network executives or the general public and would escape censorship, unlike the earlier script for Playhouse 90. Serling drew on his own experience for many episodes, frequently uh, about boxing, military life, and airplane pilots. The Twilight Zone incorporated his social views on racial relations, somewhat veiled in the science fiction and fantasy elements of the show. Occasionally, the point was quite blunt, such as in the episode I Am the Night, Color Me Black, in which racism and hatred causes a dark cloud to form in the American South and spread across the world. Many Twilight Zone stories reflected his views on gender roles, featuring quick-thinking, resilient women, as well as shrewish, nagging wives. So the cultural and political context. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the cultural and political context 
that the show was um, born into. Okay, so we already talked a bit about Serling's life and what he thought about stuff, his politics, about racism and what was going on in the world. So while Rod Serling injected aspects of his own life experiences into the show, like boxing, military life, pilots, the unpredictability of death, there was also a political context that the show was born out of. So the show began in 1959, and the cultural and political context that the show was born out of was the period directly after World War II, a period that included McCarthyism, the Cold War, and the threat of nuclear holocaust, the civil rights movement, the space race, and the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962. So some of the recurring themes in episodes seem like they were heavily influenced by the cultural and political context of the period, including um, first nuclear holocaust, comes up quite a lot, and the tension of pending destruction, space travel, and man as a space-faring civilization in the future. That seems to come up a lot. Race, like race relations, comes up a lot. Time travel comes up a lot. The unpredictability of death, this uh, sort of comes up a lot. And the supernatural. The theory of the Twilight Zone. Uh, obviously, this means my theory of the Twilight Zone. So in each episode, the notion of the episode is introduced explore it explore it explore it twist so the main character's journey in an episode is groping 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 truth um so this is to me sort of how the episodes go now earlier on in the series um the show uh, they're all half hour shows so I, I don't know episodes like 22 minutes something like that 21 23 minutes something like that um, and for me, that's that's perfect. That's a great length. Um, at one season, I think it's season four, they suddenly changed the format, and all the episodes are an hour, so it's 45-ish minutes, and it just seems too long um, because the the direction of the episode, the way the episode occurs, doesn't change. It's still, you know, uh, explore it, explore it, explore it, twist you just spend so much more time exploring it and exploring it. So part of what makes the Twilight Zone episodes really compelling is that you tune in, it's a new episode, and you think to yourself, well, what are they going to do? What What's the weird concept going to be this episode? And as soon as they tell you, you they explore it a little bit, and you're like, okay, that's cool. And the next thing you think is, okay, well, what's the twist going to be at the end? So when you change the episode format from 22 minutes to, say, 45 minutes, all that happens is that it's really prolonged until you get to the end. So there's too much time. There's too much uh, middle section to it. And you you tend to think, oh, I'm just kind of slogging through this until I get to the end and see what the twist is. So the, the short episodes, I find, fit a lot better. Okay. So I... Um, I'm going to give ratings to the episodes and just uh, like from poor, fair, average, good, and great. So poor is one, fair is two, average is three, good is four, great is five. Um, you know, because we're going through a lot of episodes, so to rank them in, in some kind of order is just too daunting and ridiculous. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to give each episode a rating.
There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the twilight zone. That is the original theme for The Twilight Zone. It was penned by Bernard Herrmann, who actually worked with um, Alfred Hitchcock on a lot of his movies. Um, I think Psycho, North by Northwest, Vertigo. That's my favorite. The, The theme changes, I think, at the end of season one like literally right before the end, or, or maybe it's just for season two. In any case, there's a different theme that I think most people are familiar with, so we'll bring that in when it happens. Uh, but this is the one I like. Okay, so first episode, Where Is Everybody? Starring Earl Holloman. I give this uh, four out of five nuclear warheads. Summary, a man finds himself walking on a country road in a small town. He doesn't know who he is or remember anything, and he can't find anybody in the town, but he feels like he's being watched. Eggs over easy, hash browns. Hey, you got a customer out here. I'm an eggs, eggs over easy, hash browns. Hungry cash customer. I got $2.85, American money. Sure, American money. Well... We got that much settled. I'm an American. You see, there's some question about my identity. Let me put it to you this way. I'm not sure who I am. But I got $2.85 when I'm hungry. That much is established. So my thoughts on this, um, I love the, the opening scene. It pans down. The camera pans down from the sky. It's like this starry sky in the country. The camera pans down to the road, and you see the guy walking along the road towards the camera, and it's like, what a metaphor for the show beginning and entering into your life. Uh, I just thought that was totally brilliant. It's kind of the episode, too, that like this is the episode that I think of when I think of the Twilight Zone. It's like the archetype of a Twilight Zone episode. I mean, it's a, it's a guy in a small town. He's alone. Um, it's, it's like everything looks normal, except he can't find anybody. So it's like... It's got that um, that metaphor at, at, at play where in a Twilight Zone episode, everything seems okay, but there's just one thing that's that's off. So he's in a small town. Um, he can't find anybody. Um, it's an idyllic town. It's beautiful. It's interesting to note that in this episode, the protagonist, he's not actually in, quote, the Twilight Zone. Because in the end, I'm going to spoiler alert here. The show's 40 years old. You know, go watch it. Um, in the end, he turns out to be inside this chamber, and he's uh, it's the Air Force. They're they're uh, doing an experiment on him, and he's actually he's dreaming, or more like he's actually hallucinating this whole his whole scene. Uh, so in this isolation chamber. So the Twilight Zone, technically, like all the other episodes. There seems to be um, a more undefined mingling of the protagonist's real world and some 
some world in their mind or some world that doesn't exist. Whereas this world is just, this is just a guy dreaming or a guy imagining. It's not, there's nothing mystical about it, I guess is what I'm saying. The other episodes, it seems like reality and the person's thoughts are mixing so that their thoughts are forming reality in some sense, in some of the episodes. But in this one, he's really just hallucinating. Anyways, I could be way off here, but it just seemed to me interesting that there's always the talk of like when a character enters, quote, the twilight zone. And it's like, well, this guy, he's really just hallucinating. So he's not really in the twilight zone. Anyways, um, I'm uh, belaboring the point. Brilliant episode. Um, Like I said, four out of five nuclear warheads is the rating. Next episode, One for the Angels, starring Ed Wynn. Um, death comes for an old man who sells trinkets on the street. The old man doesn't want to go, and he's a bit of a hustler, so he swindles Death into giving him an extension. But Death kind of realizes, hey, this guy's this guy's effing with me. He's, uh, he's, he's scamming me. So Death decides to take someone else in this guy's place in order to force the guy's hand. So, what are my thoughts about this? It's, um, you know, this is one that falls into the supernatural category. It's fine. It's an okay episode. Um, It's worth watching once. Rating, three out of five highballs. Okay, next episode. Mr. Denton on Doomsday, starring Martin Landau, um, Columbo actor. Uh, Okay, this one, summary. An old West Town drunk and former gunslinger gets freed from his past with the help of a traveling salesman named Henry Fate. Ooh, bit on the nose, guys. That's okay. Um, My thoughts. So it's a supernatural one. Yeah, I would skip this one. I mean, I like, I guess, Martin Landau. Um, This episode just didn't do anything for me. Uh, Skip it. All right. It's getting uh, two out of five, I don't know, whatever, whiskeys. All right, next episode, um, The 16-Millimeter Shrine. Okay, this one starring Ida Lupino, also from Columbo. Of course, that doesn't really do her justice. She is a lot more than just Columbo. Um, Ida Lupino was uh, um, a very early on, one of the first prominent female directors. She directed some film noir including um one that uh the hitchhiker i think it was it was it was good it's good film i have it all right so what do we got summary an aging movie star alone in her mansion watching her films of 25 years ago can't accept getting older she wants to forever live in the glory of the past and in the end she does daniel fix yourself a drink it's 11 in the morning so it's 11 in the morning so it's 11 in the morning, and the sun is out. That's a beautiful day in Beverly Hills. There's no smog. It's 84 degrees, and it is lovely. What would I do without your daily weather reports? Question is, Barbara, what do you do with them? You sit here in this air-conditioned cave showing one picture after another. Let's skip it. Bobby, it's no good, honey. None of this is any good. Look, if you won't fix yourself a drink, sit down and be quiet, will you? You know something, Daniel? You have a habit of looking poised, ready to spring. What was the picture? Two of them. A farewell without tears. Co-starring Jerry Herndon. 
Not co-starring, darling. He was my leading man. 1933. And a night in Paris. 1934. I know it was 1934. What are you now, Daniel? Father time. So this is another supernatural-themed episode. So is it really? Yeah, I guess it is. I mean, really, I, I'm, I shouldn't be saying this because they're all going to end up being this because there's there's always some, like, like I talked about earlier, some mingling of their thoughts in reality. So they, they all end up kind of being supernatural. So it doesn't really mean much. Uh, okay, that's okay. Um, I, I did want to say there, there's kind of a, there was a Columbo episode that not the one that Ida Lupino was in, but a different one. There was a Columbo episode that was a variation on uh, the story of an aging starlet who can't let go of the past. It was called Forgotten Lady, and it was from season five. Um, and in the end, she kills her husband when he refuses to finance her big comeback attempt. The ending of this episode has Ida Lupino living in the reality of one of her films. Um, this kind of feels like um, an early variation on the living in a simulation or living in a virtual reality. Um, there was actually a great Star Trek The Next Generation episode in season five called Ship in a Bottle, where Professor Moriarty is awakened on the holodeck. And um, in order to stop him from taking over the real Enterprise, the crew traps him in uh, a simulated reality inside this box of circuits. Uh, so Moriarty will think that he's in the real world, so-called real world, but he'll really be in his little uh, box of circuit reality. Anyways, a little more about Ida Lupino. Um, yeah, so big time director, film noir. She starred in a lot of film noir too. Um, quite a few movies in the, the 40s. Dated Howard Hughes, I believe. Um, there's actually uh, a really good podcast, You Must Remember This, and they have an episode on Ida Lupino, so it's worth listening to. So she was good stuff. Look her up. Ranking this one, three out of five first world problems. Next episode, Walking Distance, starring Gig Young. A stressed out ad exec stops at a gas station to fill up while driving in the country. From the gas station, he walks to the nearby town that he grew up in and finds that it's just the same as when he left it 25 years ago. That's Homewood up ahead, isn't it? Yep. About a mile and a half. Used to live in Homewood. Grew up there, as a matter of fact. I've been back in 20, 25 years. 20, 25 years. Yesterday I just got in the car and drove. I had to get out of New York City. One more board meeting, phone call, report, problem. Probably would have jumped right out the window. That's walking distance, isn't it? Yeah, about a mile and a half. Yeah, that's walking distance. This episode is brilliant. A time travel episode. Again, with the opening shot of uh, the camera panning down from the sky and the protagonist's car approaching on a country road, and it really gives that feeling of 
we're beginning a little journey, like the episode is beginning. So here's the protagonist approaching in the car, and we're going to experience what he experiences over the next little while. It's fantastic. Gig Young is is awesome. He is uh, like a, I didn't watch Mad Men, but he's like a Mad Men type ad exec. Um, he's driving a, a car with no roof, you know, and uh, he's in the country road, and he's got a suit on, and he's very confident. Um, it's, what a good episode. Um, so what, what ends up happening is he wants to help. He goes to his, his little town that he grew up in and he sees himself as a young boy, like 15 or 16 or something. And he wants to help himself by warning him, uh, about the future and about really about um, he wants to warn him to enjoy himself now because this world that he's in is the best world there is. And when you get older, it's full of, you know, corruption and annoyance and things like that. Um, but what he ends up doing is harming his younger self. And the effects of that affect him immediately in his older self body. Um, so Star Trek uh, seems to be heavily influenced by this type of story. They had a name for it. They called it a predestination paradox. So if you like stories like that, check out Deep Space Nine Season 5 Trials and Tribulations, which is a, a good example of a predestination paradox episode. Anyways, Gig Young, amazing performance. I give this one 5 out of 5 ad execs. Next episode, Escape Clause, starring David Wynn. Um, okay. A hypochondriac makes a deal with the devil. Yikes. You can skip this one. I give it one out of five highballs. Next episode, The Lonely, starring Jack Warden. All right. Now this one, another brilliant episode a lonely man on a deserted prison asteroid is given a robot for a companion. Over time, he falls in love with his companion and is no longer lonely. But when a supply ship arrives with word that he's been pardoned and he has to leave immediately, trouble ensues. You are now the proud possessor of a robot built in the form of a woman. To all intent and purpose, this creature is a woman. Physiologically and psychologically, she is a human being with a set of emotions and a memory track. The ability to reason, to think, and to speak. She is beyond illness, and under normal circumstances, should have a lifespan similar to that of a normal human being. Her name is Alicia. Um, this one really, it makes you think about the notion of punitive incarceration, uh, and what it means to be human. This one has a, a shocking ending. It's so, it's such a cruel ending, but what a, what a fantastic episode. A really good one. I give this one five out of five hot bots. All right. Next episode. Time Enough at Last, starring Burgess Meredith. A bank teller who loves reading is the only survivor of a nuclear holocaust. And the best thing, the very best thing of all, 
is there's time now. There's all the time I need and all the time I want. Time, time, time. Ah, there's time enough at last. That's not fair. That's not fair at all. There was time now. There was, was all the time I needed. It's not fair. <laughs> okay, you can skip this one. It's just too silly. Um, he loves reading, but is bad at his job, so he retreats to the bank vault to read, and at that moment, there's a nuclear holocaust. The entire town is destroyed, and he's the only survivor. He goes to the library after he comes out of the vault, and he realizes everything's been destroyed. He goes to the library, um, and he's elated with thoughts of reading in solitude for the rest of his days, which should be about one day. Um, then his glasses break. So this episode has uh, famously, I think, been parodied on definitely The Family Guy. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes. And probably lots of other shows. Like I'm sure The Simpsons has done a parody on it and wherever else. And I've actually seen this episode listed near the top 10 on some bullshit lists of the top 100 TV episodes of all time, which obviously immediately invalidated the list. Um, yeah, uh, it, it's, it's, I know it's a famous episode. You should watch it. I say skip it, but um, you should watch it because it's a famous episode, just, just to see how what a letdown it is. But don't let it taint you from the rest of the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone's great. Okay, uh, rate this one one out of five nuclear warheads. All right, next episode, Perchance to Dream, starring Richard Conti, uh, rating three out of five head shrinkers. So, summary, a man is afraid to fall asleep because he thinks that his dreams will kill him. Um, my thoughts on this. This is a good episode. It's, um, it's fairly good. Uh, there's a great twist at the end. This one is definitely worth watching, and although the show took place 60 years ago, I'm still, in this case, just, you gotta watch the episode. I'm not gonna go spoil it. Just watch it. Next episode, Judgment Night, starring, uh, I'm gonna butcher the name, Nehema Persoff. Sorry about that, buddy. Um, a German U-boat commander in 1942 suddenly finds himself on a British steamship at sea without a convoy. Have we met before? I don't think so. You'll forgive me. You looked so familiar. But for that matter, they all did. Mr. Lancer, are you all right? Yes, yes, I'm all right. It's just that I have these crazy feelings. What? The feeling of doing things, saying things. The feeling that you've done them before? At first, he doesn't know who he is or how he got on the ship, but slowly he begins to recall the details of the past and what fate will befall their ship. Um, 
then it all begins again. There's actually a top-notch Star Trek The Next Generation episode from Season 5 called Cause and Effect. This has got to be one of the top three Star Trek The Next Generation episodes. It's where the Enterprise gets caught in a time loop, and it keeps repeating the same couple of days, like a period of a couple of days, and they have to break out of the time loop. Um, but And they're gradually, it's almost like a deja vu experience. Um, each time they go through the loop, they kind of, they, the events start to seem a little more familiar. It's a brilliant episode. Check it out. Um, the, and the, <laughs> I don't want to get off track. The Twilight Zone episode here, it's pretty good. Um, the actor whose name I totally butchered, he is, um, what else has he been in? He's been in a Columbo episode. In fact, he was in the best Columbo episode, which is Now You See Him from Season 5. Um, it's one of the Jack Cassidy episodes. Uh, the best Columbo episode. I hope to get to that one day. So this one, again, uh, three out of five loose lips sink ships. Okay, next episode. And When the Sky Was Opened. This one's starring Rod Taylor. I like Rod Taylor. He's a handsome fella. Um, check him out in the, the time machine. He's pretty good in that. Um, summary, after returning from a mission, three astronauts begin disappearing from history. I just, uh, called home, called my folks. My mom answered the phone. Yeah. Told her who I was. And she said she didn't have any son named Ed Harrington. That's what she said, buddy. And then I asked to talk to the old man. And he got on and kept telling me to get off the phone. He didn't want any practical jokester bothering his wife. He said he didn't have any son at all. What is it, Clay? What's it all mean? Rod Taylor has a, a wonderful chin. I have chin envy. I like the left turn that it took when, after following Rod Taylor's experience of his colleague disappearing, Rod Taylor then disappeared. Uh, I would have thought that he was going to be the last one to disappear. I really like that the characters were wiped from history, not only physically, but from memory, and details were altered to support the lie. An example being uh, Harrington dropped a drink in the bar, but after he disappeared, there was no spilled drink on the bar floor. This one made me think of the Star Trek The Next Generation episode, um, one of the early seasons where Dr. Beverly Tra Crusher is trapped inside a warp bubble, although she doesn't know that, and um, people from her world are disappearing. Yeah, check it out. I give this one three out of five Bay of Pigs. Next episode, What You Need, starring Steve Cochran. An old peddler who knows exactly what people are going to need in the immediate future becomes the target of a greedy hood. Something for you, sir? Shoelaces, maybe. Is that what I need? That's for you to say, sir. If, if not shoelaces, some nice matches, I... I have several different designs here. Now, come on. What do I need? You tell me, old man. One needs 
many different things. Yeah, 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 but what do I need now? Huh? What do I need tonight? It's late. What do I need? Scissors. What is this? Some kind of gag? I want you to level with me, old man. I mean it. Don't spread you all over the street. They're what you need. They really are. Take them. This one's pretty good. Uh, this guy, Steve Cochran, he has a, a really interesting Wikipedia page. I'm compiling a list of all the guest stars on the Twilight Zone who um, committed suicide or otherwise had weird deaths because there's quite a lot. Um, it's a product of the times, I guess. A lot of alcohol, etc. A lot of uh, suppressed lives, um, homosexuality, not accepted as much, things like that. So there's a lot of stuff going on. Anyways, we'll I'll get to that probably, probably uh, in the fifth installment of this five-part series because that'll be season five of the Twilight Zone. So that's when I'll talk about all the guest stars and their strange ends. Um, this episode, though, um, had a real uh, classical noir kind of feel. Uh, the guy, Steve Cochran, he's quite the thug. He has a good look, too. He looks like he's uh, like a thug from a Quentin Tarantino film or something. Good episode, though. Giving it three out of five hookers on a boat. That'll make sense later. Next episode, The Four of Us Are Dying, starring Harry Towns, Philip Pine, Ross Martin, among others. A grifter who can change his face poses as people who have died or disappeared and takes advantage of those that were left behind. Johnny. Johnny, are you a ghost? Sure. A ghost. I just came down to check the mourners, read the obituaries. How'd they feel about the deceased, huh? What kind of tears? You came to the right place, Johnny. I have a room full of buckets. I heard it on the radio one night, just like that. Death as it must come to all men came to Talented musician Johnny Foster. Tragic accident, train hitting car. I just sat there and I cried. Another brilliant episode. This one, again, it uh, has a very classical noir feel. There's gangsters involved. I feel like uh, the season three episode of X-Files, um, Pusher, was influenced by this. In that episode, a contract killer has a super ability to influence people and uses it to his advantage. So you can see where it sort of came from this episode. I love Ross Martin. Um, he's in this episode, and he has a great little part. Um, actually, all the, the main characters in this episode were really, really good. Ross Martin was in... Um, 
a Colombo episode. I actually did a, a podcast on that episode. Um, he kind of plays an art critic. He, he looks a bit like Austin Powers in it. It's, uh, it's a good one. It's from season one. Ooh, can't remember the name of it right now, but a good episode. Totally worth seeing. Um, I give this one five out of five heaters. Next episode, Third from the Sun, starring Fritz Weaver. Some middle-class skilled workers are planning an escape from the world in anticipation of the pending nuclear holocaust. Hold the light, will you, Sturkin? Long days, huh? Long days. Your department's going full blast, isn't it? It's coming, boy. It's really coming, and a big one, too. While we're talking here, I bet the military's getting all set. <laughs> Got it all mapped out, I bet. Talk is 48 hours. You wait and see if I'm not right. 48 hours, we'll have them aloft. Then whoosh, up, over, and whammo. There goes the enemy. Another fantastic episode. Um, this one is themed uh, with Cold War anxiety, uh, McCarthyism, and it has a brilliant twist at the end. A really, really good episode. I give this one four out of five first strikes. All right, next episode. I shot an arrow into the air, starring Dewey Martin, Edward Bins, and Ted Otis. A rocket is sent into space and crashes on an asteroid. Maybe. First entry, log, arrow one, Colonel R.G. Donlan commanding. We have crash-landed on what appears to be an uncharted asteroid. Cause of malfunction and ultimate crash, unknown. There was an explosion. The electrical system went out. That's all any of us remember. Any of us being Flight Officers Corey and Pearson and Navigator Hudak, who has been seriously hurt, and myself. The rest of the crew, dead. So the themes of this episode are the space race. They certainly like these future episodes where humanity is blasting off into the stars. I'm going to spoil this one. The One of the guys, he's kind of evil, um, and he kills everyone, but he survives. And at the end, he makes quite a discovery. It's a great twist. Well done episode. I give this one four out of five Sputniks. Next episode, The Hitchhiker, starring Inger Stevens, another actress who makes it onto the suicide slash strange death list so again you'll hear that at the end of uh, the fifth episode a woman alone on a cross-country trip 
sees the same hitchhiker throughout the journey. Here you are, miss. Change from your 220s. Check the other tires for you. They look okay. Anything wrong? No. No, nothing's wrong. I was just looking at that, uh, that hitchhiker. What hitchhiker? He's gone now. Guess he got picked up. Probably. Funny, though, I saw him a little while ago while you were changing the tire. Hey, he probably got a lift right after we passed him. Probably. So this is one of those supernatural episodes. Ingar Stevens was very attractive. Um, this is a, it's a really good episode. It has a really good twist at the end. Um, I'm not going to spoil it. Just go watch it. I know I'm inconsistent. I'm spoiling it. I'm not spoiling it. In this case, just go watch it. Good episode. I'm giving this one three out of five tiny wastes. Next episode, The Fever, starring Everett Sloan and Vivi Janis. A guy who abhors gambling gets the fever. It wasn't even my dollar. That 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 man gave it to me. He, he made me put it in the machine. Well, now you'll see the difference between a normal, mature, thoughtful man and these these wild idiots around here. We'll we'll put this in our room and we'll take it home with us. Of course, dear. Yes, but not these baboons around here. They'd throw it away. They they'd compulsively put it back in the machine. But not the Gibbs. The Gibbs know the value of money. Well, come, my dear, I, I want to shave before dinner. I... Now, this one is not a great episode, um, but it is worth seeing if just for the ending. Um, and remember, one of the themes that Rod Serling liked to explore was the suddenness of death. Um... This one also has um, a theme of, I would say, destiny and obviously addiction. But I'm still going to rank this one one out of five one-armed bandits. All right, next episode, The Last Flight, starring Kenneth Haig. A pilot from 1917 travels forward in time to 1959. Oh, what is this? This man, sir. He's apparently British. He landed his ship on our field. His ship, I might add. Who are you? Second Lieutenant William Terence Decker, sir. Royal Flying Corps. You mean Royal Air Force? No, sir. Royal Flying Corps. What are you doing here? Why are you dressed like that? I beg your pardon, sir. There's some kind of an air show nearby? Air show, sir? Are you making a film? I'm afraid I don't quite understand you, sir. You don't understand? What are you... Why are you wearing this costume? This is my uniform, sir. Your... 
At ease. So this one is also not very good. Um, the themes in this one are time travel for the most part. And I, to some extent, obnoxious American military personnel. I'm sure that's not really a theme, but in any case, um, I would say skip this one. Not much to see here. I'm going to give it one out of five lieutenants. All right, the next episode, The Purple Testament, starring Dick York. Um, Dick York, famous for Bewitched. Very nice. A military guy can see who in his unit is about to be killed. I looked into 44 faces yesterday morning. And when I got to those four, there was something special, a, a light or something that I can't describe it to you. There isn't any description. But I looked into their faces and I knew. I knew this was their last day. I knew they were going to get it. I knew, and there, there wasn't any doubt about it. Well, that's, uh, that's funny. That's real funny. I haven't slept much. I keep wondering, is this the way it's going to be? If every time I stand in front of a platoon, am I going to be able to look down the line and know which ones aren't coming back? Okay, so we've got the third not-so-good episode in a row. You could probably skip this one, too. Um, themes of this episode are the military, supernatural, and the suddenness of death, I think, is the overwhelming theme. Um, this is something I talked about at the beginning of this episode, some of the themes that Rod Serling liked to explore in his writings. Anyways, you can you can skip this one. We'll give this one one out of five Samantha nose twitches. All right, next episode, Eulogy, starring Cecil Kellaway, Jeff Morrow, and Don Dubbins. Three astronauts in the future land on a planet that looks like Earth, but it's not Earth, and everyone is frozen. 20.95 parts oxygen, 78.09 nitrogen. Well, I don't get it. That's air. Gravity. Unit one. It's incredible. Conditions identical to Earth, and yet we're 655 million miles away from Earth. Okay, this is a very good episode. Thank God we're back in the good episodes. Um, themes of this episode are the future, human space travel. Um, it looks like this episode may have influenced such works as Westworld. Um, they've got, well, I don't want to give it away. They've, they've got robots and stuff. And you know what? Just scratch that. Just watch the episode. It's, it's good. Um, and there's a really good twist at the end. Um, it's a common theme, I think, that when an episode is constructed really well and there's a twist that you don't, you, you might see coming if you think about it a little bit, but um, it really works well, then it's a good episode. 
I give this one four out of five predictions of a Holocaust in 1985. Next episode, Mirror Image, starring Vera Miles. A woman in a bus station is replaced by her doppelganger. What's the matter with me? What on earth is the matter with me? What's happening? Delusions. That's what they are. They're delusions. I must be sick. I must be running a fever. I'm not even warm. I don't have any fever. No fever at all. Some Columbo crossover here with Vera Miles as the guest villain from Lovely But Lethal. I believe that's a season three episode of Columbo. Um, I like the idea in this episode that a doppelganger uh, is replacing a person, but I didn't like the execution of the episode. So, for instance, um, later on in the episode, uh, this guy, he calls the police and they race over and grab the woman and take her away without questioning her at all, um, just based on this guy's report to them. And also they frame the whole thing like, it's a criminal problem and not just some mental health issue. I give this one two out of five straight jackets. The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, starring Claude Akins. A paranoia strikes the residents of Maple Street when they believe human looking aliens have invaded the neighborhood. Doesn't make sense. Why should the power go off all of a sudden and the phone line? Maybe some kind of an electrical storm or something. Now, that don't seem likely. This guy's just as blue as anything. Not a cloud, no lightning, no thunder, no nothing. How could it be a storm? Can't get a thing on the radio, not even on the portable. Why don't we go downtown and check with the police? Well, they'll probably think we're crazy or something. A little power failure and everybody gets flustered and everything. Well, it isn't just a power failure, Charlie. If it were, we'd still be able to get a broadcast on the portable. I'll take a run downtown. Maybe I can get it straightened out. So this one, um, there's this uh, event that happens in a neighborhood. There's a big flash in the sky. Everybody sees it. And suddenly, no electrical equipment works. The cars don't work. There are little portable radios don't work. Nothing's working. So the, the residents get together, and they, they don't know what to do. They're going to go downtown and see the cops and see if they have answers. But they start to get paranoid and they start to turn against themselves and in the end they kill one of their own um so this one has shades of mccarthyism uh they feel like they're being infiltrated from the outside from some outside force this one has uh one of those pan in from the sky intros which i love uh it's pretty good so i'm giving this one three out of five mobs with pitchforks all right, next episode, A World of Difference, starring Howard Duff. A man suddenly realizes that he may just be an actor playing a character. The only information you have about Arthur Curtis is written in this script. No. Jerry, sometimes I'd like to escape myself, away from this turmoil to some simpler existence. 
You're telling me that this is a delusion. That I'm really Gerald Reagan, a drunken... Gerald Reagan, a sweet, unhappy man. Burdened with that harpy, Jerry Reagan. Trying to find a little happiness, that's all. No. It's real. So this one feels like it was inspiration for movies like The Truman Show or um, anything where you're living in a simulation. It actually has a really good ending, so you should check this one out. Good twist. Incidentally, Howard Duff, the star, was married to Ida Lupino from 1951 to 1984. I give this one three out of five ship in a bottles. Next episode, Long Live Walter Jameson. Starring Kevin McCarthy. A man who doesn't age has his secret revealed. You shouldn't have kept that ring, you know. It's a dead giveaway. What are you getting at, Sam? Oh, come, Walter. You know exactly what I'm getting at. Oh, you're joking. Just because I happen to look like somebody in a photograph. And happen to be wearing the same ring and happen to have the same small mole on the left side of your face? Walter... You and I have been very close for 12 years. Tell me the truth. You are that man in, in the photograph, aren't you? Yes. I've suspected a long time. But it seemed fantastic. Mm -hmm. It is. Yes. How old are you, Walter? You wouldn't believe me. I can believe anything now. All right. Let's say that I'm old enough to have known this gentleman personally. Plato? But that was over 2,000 years ago. I knew you wouldn't believe me. No, no, it's... It isn't that, it's... 2,000 years. How, Walter? How? In heaven's name, Walter, this is what mankind has been dreaming of. Sam. Tell me the secret. I can't tell you the secret, Sam. Kevin McCarthy was the actor who starred in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. He also has the unfortunate fortune of having the same name as a Republican senator. Good luck with that. So um, this one is actually a pretty fantastic episode. It's, it's kind of creepy and cool. Um, it's obviously supernatural. Um, there's no real twist at the end. It's definitely worth watching. Three out of five every man's dreams. Next episode, People Are Alike All Over, starring Roddy McDowell. Two astronauts crash on Mars. Marcuson? Hmm? Are you afraid? I don't think so. Are you? 
I am very. Roddy McDowell, Planet of the Apes. He was in a Columbo episode. I actually did a, a podcast on the episode he was in. Um, I, I find I generally don't really like him. Um, in this, he's not too bad. He looks a lot younger than I'm used to seeing him. He, he's, he's kind of cute. He looks a bit better. Um, he's kind of fun, but he's, he's a little annoying. His voice is a little annoying. The way he taught, he has this sort of, it's, it's more like a proper or an elitist accent or something. It's really off-putting. Um, anyways, so this episode is obviously about space travel. It's also about fear, fear of the unknown. Um, I give this one three out of five. You got what's coming to use. All right, next episode, Execution, starring Albert Salmi. A man is transported 80 years into the future just as he is going to be hung in 1880. Try to relax. You're going to be all right. I'll explain to you what's happened. Where am I? You're a long way from home, old friend. A very long way. Where? You're in New York City. 80 years from the last moment of your recollection. By this. This is a time machine. What's happened to you involves principles which you wouldn't understand. For the moment, I don't know what your past was, but you've got a most distinguished future. You're the first time traveler in the history of man, and I'm going to introduce you to a whole new world, and you're going to tell me about an old one. Now, this one is a great episode. Obviously, the theme here is time travel. Um, A scientist brings a man into the future, and the scientist doesn't seem to have information about or control over who he brought from the past. He knows it's 80 years ago, but he didn't know that the man was a convict and he was about to be hung. The process didn't seem to give him that sort of information. He had to ask the outlaw who he was. It was well done how the outlaw was completely overwhelmed by the culture. I mean, the man brought him to New York City. Apparently his lab is in like an apartment building. I don't know why. But the noise on the street is way too much for the outlaw. He's running around freaking out. He's super aggressive. Um, it's sort of what you would expect from a person who's brought out of, uh, conditions 80 years previous. He just, he couldn't comprehend what was going on in the world. He lived in a more immediate and brutish time. Albert Salmi has, uh, he's one of these actors who had a strange death. So we'll go over that in 
episode five or part five of this series. So look forward to that. I give this one five out of five men out of time. Next episode, The Big Tall Wish, starring Ivan Dixon. A boy can change events with his wishing power. You know, a fighter don't need a scrapbook, Henry. And you want to know what he's done, where he's fought? You read it in his face. He's got the whole story cut into his flesh. So this one's about a little boy who is friends with a boxer. And the boxer's washed up. He's over the hill. And the little boy kind of wishes, while the fight's going on, he wishes the boxer into a win. Um, The boy has special wishing powers. So this themes of this one is uh, supernatural. It was actually, overall, it was kind of boring. And it was really overacting. It's too bad. I wanted this one to be really good. This is one of those ones where... um, Rod Serling used an all-black cast, so I guess, you know, race relations were really important to him, so it's it's pretty cool that he had an all-black cast, an episode like this, very black-centric, but at the same time, it wasn't a very well-written episode, it just wasn't compelling, and um, it's too bad he also made the black actor a boxer, um, in my opinion. It just seems a little bit stereotypical. I mean, he could have made him a district attorney. Uh, Might have been a little bit better. Or a police chief. Anyways. So I give this one two out of five right hooks. All right, next episode. A Nice Place to Visit, starring Larry Blyden. After a lousy crook is shot by trigger-happy police... He meets the angel, Colonel Sanders, who takes him on a thrilling adventure to his own personal heaven, actually hell. What's going on here? Where am I? Mr. Valentine, do you remember when we met earlier today? I told you I was in a sense your guide, and you said you needed a guide like a hole in the head. Yeah? Well, as a matter of strict fact, you had a hole in the head only a short time before. (laughs) A bullet hole. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. The cops, they... Then I must... I must be dead. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, so this episode is, uh, it's so-so. It's got another noir-type feel to it. Um, Supernatural elements. Uh, The crook is like this uh, ridiculous stereotype of a dumb, born-to-lose type of guy, Um, except that he dances like he's on Broadway. Broadway. All right, I give this one uh, three out of five broads. All right, next episode, Nightmare as a Child, starring Janice Rule. A little girl helps a school teacher resolve her memory of a horrible incident from the past. Well, hello there. How are you? You're new here, aren't you? Are you just visiting? Is that it? Just visiting someone in the building? You're a quiet one, aren't you? Not much to say, is that it? 
Well, I'm kind of an expert on children. Quiet ones, noisy ones, all kinds. I teach school. I know. I know all about you. You do? Well, how about a cup of nice hot chocolate? That's the first thing I usually make when I come home from school. A cup of nice hot chocolate. I know. But you don't like marshmallows, do you? You're right, I don't. I don't either. That clip kind of sums up everything you need to know about the episode. Um, once you see the episode, it'll make more sense. This one is uh, about time travel. It's a very, very creepy episode. It's really well done. I give this one five out of five creepy little girls. Next episode, A Stop at Willoughby, starring James Daly. Riding home on the train one day, a man falls asleep and dreams it is 1880, and he is entering a small town called Willoughby. How are you tonight, Mr. Williams? In the absolute pink. Cold winter this year. Seems to get darker earlier than it ever has. Well, that's the way of the world. Rich get richer, and the days get shorter. That's right. Okay, so this episode isn't bad. Um, the theme is uh, like the unpredictability of death. Uh, sort of time travel to this guy. He He's imagining when he's on the train about this town, Willoughby, that he wants to escape to because he, he loathes his, his current life so much. Um, and he ends up dying as a result. Anyways, just watch the episode. I don't want to wreck it. Um, I like the idea of this episode. But there just wasn't much to it. I give it a two out of five martinis. All right, next episode, The Chaser, starring George Gizzard. A man desperate to win the affection of a beautiful woman slips her a love potion. Hello? Hello, Leela, darling. It's Roger. Oh. Hello, Roger. What is it? May I come to see you? Uh, no. Uh, no, I can't. I couldn't bear to see anybody. I'm a mess. Oh, you could never be a mess. <laughs> Listen, darling, I have to see you. Roger, it's impossible. I must see you, darling. Must. Furiously, fiercely must. I love you. Roger, you've got to stop this. You're acting like a baby. I can't see you now, and that's that. Well, then talk to me. Say something. Say anything. Say something? All right, Roger. I'll say something. Why don't you take a flying jump at the moon? Oh, how times have changed. We now call this date rape. Um, no, he doesn't, he doesn't rape her, but he, he slips her a potion so she'll fall in love with him. Uh, you heard that clip, uh, th this man is unhinged. It's funny how 60 years ago in 1959, when this was made, this was like, oh, it's a man, he's in love and, uh, he's just, he's act. she said she's, a he's acting like a baby, but it's like, really, he sounds to me like he's acting like a psychopath. <laughs> So, uh, in the end, this episode, meh, I give it, uh, 
two out of five gin and tonics. All right, next episode, A Passage for Trumpet. Jack Klugman, a trumpet player who's convinced he'll never amount to anything, attempts suicide and finds himself in a world where no one can hear or see him. Joey, what do you say, Listen, I, uh, I brought along my baby. I, I thought you might need somebody with a horn. Uh, not tonight, Joey. The last time you played trumpet for me, you lost it up. I had to share you with a bottle. A bottle? Me? I forgot what the stuff tastes like. Six, seven months, I'm way up on the wagon. Sure, Joey, sure. What am I, some kind of coot? I know what that stuff does to me, but I ain't an old man. Me and the horn, we got a lot of years left. I could be a number one boy. For sure. you know, what am I going to do? Chuck it away on some bum hammock? You know? That's a pretty mellow horn. And I got some nice music in here. You know yourself, when I pick it up and I blow it, I can make them cry. All right, so this one... Um, themes are again the unpredictability of death uh, supernatural so the idea is a man dies uh, then lives in a world where he's dead so that he can gain an appreciation for how good life is he meets an angel this sort of stuff the the actual like plot is kind of meh but I will say that um, this episode is is really well written like the dialogue with Jack Klugman is really good. Jack Klugman, he used to just, I, I was repulsed by him. He re, Not repulsed, he just, I didn't like him at all. And I think it's because my um, association with Jack Klugman is Quincy MD. Because I remember that being on when I used to watch Columbo and Macmillan and Wife, etc. Um, Quincy MD would come on and I hated that show. But... The Twilight Zone has given me a new appreciation for Jack Klugman. He's actually really good in the episodes he appears in. He appears in quite a few. Um, this one in particular, uh, he, he just his face is great, and he he just does the part really well. Uh, the dialogue, he, he really sells it. So um, I gave this episode three out of five Tom Collins, but the truth is um, it's better written than that uh, I feel more like it's a four so four to five Tom Collins is all right next episode Mr. Beavis not Butthead starring Orson Bean a man Beavis meets his guardian angel so we got a new Twilight Zone theme. I'm not sure why. We're at episode 33 of season one, and it, I guess they decided that, well, the original theme, It's uh, we're going to shake it up a little bit. I don't know why it was brilliant. Here's the new theme. You are about to enter another dimension, a dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land of imagination. Next stop, the Twilight Zone. 
Well, sir, not all the episodes are five out of five. This is one of those ones that, look, if you if you are going to buy the whole collection, then you should watch every episode. Um, but there are some episodes where you say, like, well, if I if I don't watch it, will I miss it? Like, you might think you miss it, but once you see this one, you realize, I, I can't get that 22 minutes of my life back. So I'm just saying you can skip this one and rest easy about it. I'll just give you a little taste here. Mr. Beavis, here's the way the uh, cookie crumbles. Several hundred years ago, one of your ancestors performed an act of great courage. Now, part of his reward was to have a guardian angel assigned to one of his descendants in each generation. Current subject, James B.W. Beavis. That's you. All right, so I give this one one out of five guardian angels. And by the way, what is with the guardian angel-themed episodes? I feel like there's been two or three episodes already about people meeting guardian angels. That was like a real existential, I don't know, angsty kind of thing in the, the late 50s, I guess. All right, next episode, The After Hours, starring... The lovely and talented Miss Anne Francis. A woman discovers that the floor of a department store on which she bought a gold thimble doesn't exist and that her, quote, sales lady is a mannequin. Now that's odd. What is Marcia? Well, you haven't any merchandise here at all, except the thimble, except the very thing I needed. The whole floor looks so empty. You called me Marcia. Did I? I'm sorry. That was forward of me. I apologize. How did you know my name? I've probably seen you around the store. No, you haven't. I've never seen you. Now, look, I don't want to make a big thing out of this, but what kind of a place is this? I mean, all I want is one small item, a gold thimble. I come up on a floor that hasn't a single thing in evidence except what I'm looking for. Well, you may be a little more sophisticated than I am, but this I call odd. Please come again. Anytime. So if you um, listen to this show regularly, you may be aware that I am a huge Anne Francis fan. I think she's just, uh, she's just gorgeous. But also she's, um, I love the way she acts. She's very, uh, a little cranky, a little aggressive. She's super attractive. She shakes her head. It's um, it's like she's always a little annoyed at you and kind of telling you off. God, I think I'm going to pass out. Um, this is a good episode. It's really good. Uh, I'm not going to give too much away, but basically she's a mannequin. Um, so it's a supernatural one. It's just, it's brilliant. you got to watch this one. I may at the end of the five-part series put together, um, just kind of rediscuss the top the five out of five episodes. Um, so anyways, for this one, gotta watch it for sure. I give this one five out of five wooden ladies. All right, next episode. Mr. Mighty Casey. Starring Jack Warden. A robot plays minor league baseball. Grand looking bunch of boys, huh? Who are you expecting, the all-stars? 
Uh, you stick up a tryout sign for a last division club that happens to be 31 games out of first. This is the material you usually round up. This is the material you usually round up. You're general manager of this club. Why don't you get me some ball players? You'd know what to do with them? 20 games out of fourth place. And the only big average we got is a manager with the widest mouth in either league. Maybe you better get reminded. When the Hoboken Zephyrs win one game, we gotta call it a streak. Oh, buddy boy, when contract time comes around, you don't have to. So what are they like? Well, we're going to have Jack Warden in this episode, so he only does the robot episodes, right? The last episode we saw him in was a robot one. That was a brilliant episode. This one was boring and kind of terrible. I didn't really like this one at all. I kind of feel bad. Like I should watch it again because I think it wasn't just boring, but it was ridiculous and silly. Um, but I don't have any evidence to back that up because it, I, I could barely focus on it anyway. This feels like, here's my thoughts on it. This feels like the kind of episode that critics would love, but that actually sucks. It's kind of like that one where the guy's, uh, the nuclear holocaust and he's comes out of the bank vault and he's the only one left and he wants to just read books and he's happy and then his glasses break. Kind of like that. Like the critics are like, oh, it was brilliant. Really? Wow. What what a concept. And uh, But you watch it and you're like, this sucks. Well, what's going on? So anyways, needless to say, you can skip this one. I give it one out of five robots. Also, um, what is with Hoboken? Um, I take it that's a town. It's in New York or something like that. Um, but it seems like, and I, I don't have any evidence to back this up, but I feel like they use Hoboken uh, always for some team that is crappy and it makes a turnaround. Or, um, and I, I don't know if it's because of the word hobo contained in it um, or what's going on there. But maybe, and I better check this on Wikipedia, but. It may be that the Richard Pryor film, Brewster's Millions, I think his baseball team was the Hoboken somebody's as well. Anyways, I'll look that up. Maybe I'll get back to us. Now, you know what? I just looked it up and then I got back in my time machine and came back to this exact moment. And um, I'm going to put a Wikipedia page in the show notes, but it's a page for the it's a list of fictional sports teams. <laughs> what a ridiculous list. Someone spent time on this. Anyways, um, the one in this episode is the Hoboken Zephyrs. And the one that I was thinking of in Brewster's Millions is the Hackensack Bulls. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, I'll put a link in the notes. All right, next episode and last one of season one. A World of His Own. Starring Keenan Wynn, a playwright makes characters come to life. The home of Mr. Gregory West, one of America's most noted playwrights. The office of Mr. Gregory West. Mr. Gregory West, shy, quiet, and at the moment, very happy. Merry, warm, affectionate. You really should be working, you know. You're nagging me. I'm only thinking of posterity. Think of me instead. 
Don't I always? Yes, you do. What a perv this guy is. He's making a character who is uh, a very attractive blonde woman, supposed to be his wife or uh, a wife type. And she's standing there like fawning over him and mixing him a martini. She's actually stirring the martini and, and tasting it for him to see if it's just right. It's, God, it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, so in this episode, uh, the playwright makes characters come to life. This one has a very good twist at the end. Uh, it's a decent episode. It's okay. Um, you have to stick with it for a while because it gets a lot better at the end. Um, all right, so that's last episode of season one. And I give this episode three out of five foxy homemakers. So stay tuned. We're going to be going through parts two, three, four, five in this series. And as promised, I will also do um, either an episode or at the end of part five, I'll go through all the guest stars who had unusual deaths or committed suicide. Um, and I may do a little episode on my five out of five episodes. Thank you for listening today. Check out the show notes for this episode or any episode on my website at ptpod.xyz. The show notes contain the links to all my sources and products that were referenced in the episode. You can write a glowing review of my podcast on iTunes or Google Play. There are handy-dandy links in the menu on my website at ptpod.xyz. And you can support me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash ptpod. The intro music for today's episode was Sweeter Vermouth, courtesy of Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. Check out the link in the show notes. Thank you.